In this episode, I interview Nate Dean of Unlimited Life Concepts, and I'm interviewing him because he taught me something I never knew before about finances, in particular in regards to generational wealth. And I consider myself pretty educated and good with money, but he opened my mind to different possibilities. And so this is an important interview, and I'm glad you are listening. Welcome to the Foundation Father podcast. With me, I have Nate Dean, who is co-founder of Unlimited Life Concepts. They do financial financial education and mentorship. And Dave Ramsey has him blocked on Twitter for some reason. And we might talk about that a little bit. Um, but Nate, thanks for having having me all, have, coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on my show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you letting me interview you. Uh, um, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, so tell us a little bit about Unlimited Life Concepts and, and how you started that and why you started that. So uh, Unlimited Life Concepts, uh, we, uh, we're a financial education business. We just teach people things about money that they didn't learn in school. Um, a little bit about my background. I was a, uh, a business major in college. Um, uh, economics, like micro macroeconomics, those were my favorite classes. So I was kind of a little bit of a nerd when it came to just the causes and effects of money and things like that. So um, I also have a uh, strong background in ministry um, just to kind of give people a little bit of an idea i did youth and music ministry for about 10 years and then i was actually pastor of a church for about three years so uh, i have quite a few years in ministry but um, unlimited life concepts uh, was born out of a, a friendship more than anything else so Myself and my business partner, we grew up together. Uh, we went to junior high and high school together. His name's Brandon. Um, and we were in the, we had, we had disconnected <laughs> over the years, um, as most people do after they graduate high school. But then we reconnected several years ago. And um, we had just gotten into some accountability with one another. Um, he was, going through some things, struggling with some things that I was helping him through. And um, I wanted him to hold me accountable for some stuff as well. And it was in the midst of this accountability that I came across this book called Becoming Your Own Banker by Arnelson Nash. And um, it, the, the, the book, the idea, the, just the title itself, it kind of grabbed my attention and I had, I had actually come across it several years prior, or a few years prior. I had downloaded it on my Kindle, um, and I came across it again in early 2018. And I read it, and it just, it, it blew my mind. Like, it was, it, it kind of flipped my brain inside out a little bit. I, I mean, I felt like, I felt like um, there was there was definitely some uh, cognitive dissonance going on. 
um, where I was being pulled in a direction I'd never been pulled in before. And it was uncomfortable. Um, but at the same time, I, I saw some value in, in Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. And I called up Brandon and I said, man, I said, I just read this book. I need you to read it. And I need you to give me your opinion on it. And I needed that pretty quick because there was like, uh, there was this excitement that was kind of welling up inside of me, but I didn't even know if it was real or like or what was going on. I needed someone to validate the way I was feeling. So I told Brandon, get the book, Becoming Your Own Banker, read it, tell me what you think about it. He's like, all right. So he calls me back. He's like, hey, order it off Amazon. It'll be here in a few days. And I said, that's not good enough. I said, here's my Kindle login. Start reading it right now. And he's like, okay. So he started reading it on Kindle. Uh, he wasn't a big fan of, of the Kindle app. Um, so he eventually got the book in the mail and started going through it. And it took him a little bit longer to process some of the things that Nelson was talking about because Brandon had a really hardcore Dave Ramsey background. Um, I had a little bit of a Dave Ramsey background. Um, I had read his books. I'd listened to his podcasts, you know, listened, watched him on TV, all that other stuff, listened to the radio. Um, but Brandon was so hardcore that his wife actually called him DR in the house, uh, affectionately, <laughs> short for Dave Ramsey. So that's how hardcore they were. I knew that Brandon saw value in becoming your own banker, that there was something to it. And and once he did, I was like, all right. So from there, we started doing some research on our own to try to figure out, is this, is, are people really doing this? Like, are, are we just crazy? And we were fortunate enough to find this podcast called Life, Success, and Legacy. These two guys, Mike, Everett, Chris Bay, and started listening to them. We're really drawn to just how genuine they were in their conversation. They were very matter of fact about what infinite banking was and what it was not. And so we reached out to them and just let them know, hey, we're these two knuckleheads from Texas who read this book and we just need to know what to do with it. Like we, we got to get started with this. So they, uh, they started teaching us. Um, we ended up walking through the process of becoming their clients and it was in the midst of everything that we were learning every time brandon and i got on the phone we were the conversation always went back to infinite banking and what we were excited about and what we couldn't believe was possible and all this other stuff and we both had this peace and confidence in our finances we'd never had before and so one day it, i don't remember how it came up but you know, somewhere along the lines of we, we just came to the conclusion that not only did we want to do this for ourselves and for our families, but we were so excited about it that we wanted to teach other people how to do the same thing. Because uh, we knew if there were, if we were feeling the way we were feeling, there were other people that needed to feel that as well. There were other people that needed to have that hope and peace in their finances. So um, we told Mike and Chris, hey, we're inspired by y'all, by what y'all are doing, and we want to do the same thing. And so they agreed to mentor us. They poured into us for two years. We even flew to Kansas and hung out with them. Um, and uh, eventually they kicked us out of the nest. And they said, all right, we can't teach you anything else. You got it. And uh, so uh, they came alongside us as we were building our business. And then, they, like I said, they kicked us out of the nest. And so now we're uh, you know, completely on our own. 
yeah, so so you sort of just stumbled across this by happenstance, the Become Your Own Baker book. Did no one like yeah. foist it upon you or why why did you decide to read that in the first place? I, I probably heard it on the radio at one point. Um, I think where I was initially turned on to it was some radio advertisement about being your own bank or something like that. So I started doing a little bit of research and found out that becoming your own banker was kind of like the the foundation of the infinite banking concept and the foundational teaching tool, learning tool, whatever. So that's where uh, I originally decided to to get the book it just took me a lot longer than it should have to actually read it okay and now you give that book away to all your clients correct this is that's the one book that you want them to read (laughs) first yeah Uh, i'm sorry go ahead yeah why because there are a lot of books about infinite baking and including Uh by the same author and maybe some other resources so why is that book in particular the one you want people to read well um like you said we ship that book out all over the country um every week um and the reason that that one is so important is because it is it is the foundation of everything that we teach um we don't we don't get away from nelson's teachings there's there's other resources out there there's other people out there that teach the concept of infinite banking but they don't exactly adhere to everything that nelson taught um, and, um, Nelson did write some other books, um, which are great resources as well. And they complement become your own banker really, really well. Um, but in terms of what the one that we, we, uh, we feel builds the foundation the most is becoming your own banker. So that's the one that we want people to start with. And it's only a 90 page book. It's not very intimidating, but mm-hmm. We refer back to that book often whenever we're, we're educating people on the concept. So it's a great resource, a great teaching tool for us to be able to say, hey, go grab your book and open a page, whatever, and we're going to talk about this. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, I when you're talking about Dave Ramsey, um, I think anyone who has had a a passing experience within the evangelical world at all has probably heard of Dave Dave Ramsey or something. It's, it's rubbed off on them somehow, even if they haven't sat through his, what is the financial freedom course, something like that. Financial peace Uh, university, financial peace university. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I, I consider myself, know pretty good with money understanding a lot of stuff you know stocks investments and all this other stuff and just you know my parents instilled in me a uh an aversion to debt in general which going to a certain point is is good you don't want to take on debt necessarily for uh frivolous things that will that will depreciate and all this other stuff um and so when i saw your video that video you posted on Twitter. Um, is that still your pinned video on the profile? The, the comparing cash the finance illustration. Cash versus yeah, yeah, the um the the C D from a bank and a loan. When when I saw that video, it's like something 
a switch flipped on in my head and like all these all this all this knowledge that I didn't really have a place for in my head all of a sudden it had a bookshelf and it just sort of flooded everything started organizing i was like oh well duh it, it's sort of like a duh moment um yeah and if you haven't if you haven't seen that video i'd, I'd encourage you to go to his profile to check it out it's and i'll post his twitter profile in the show notes um but it's basically comparing um taking out a loan versus putting all that money into a cd at a bank and taking out a loan against that cd and and just earning interest and comparing how much you pay over the five-year term of the loan versus the five-year interest from the cd um well in in the the my pin tweet video is the cash versus finance illustration um oh, right, but okay. the pin the pin tweet thread has that video in it so if somebody goes okay. to the pin tweet thread itself they can just scroll down and they can find that video as well okay yeah yeah and and the okay so yeah so the pin videos is good too just to know um the core basics um because i like i i was exactly that video save up money and it would be gone save up some more money and be gone never really growing wealth beyond that and it's like wouldn't it be great if you could keep all this money while also buying that used car or whatever whatever it is so that that's sort of what flipped the switch for me um and uh so why what is it about um i'm trying to think we went off the tangent of dave dave ramsey uh, <laughs> uh when you get this is a, so basically it's it has to do with whole life insurance you're taking the concept of this uh, a CD cash deposit for, or certificate of deposit from a bank and then expanding it to where you have control versus the bank having control and using whole life insurance. And that was something new to me. Um, but when people, and you're very upfront about that when, when someone goes, starts going through your course, but do you have any pushback from that? Um, is that one of the things people push back on when they start learning about this or you take them on as clients and things like that? There's very little that we run across where people are like, hey, you know, I, this process wasn't worth it for me. I want my money back. Um, mm -hmm. Now, we, we, we offer a no questions asked refund on our course. So if anybody goes through it and they don't find value in the information, we're happy to return that back to them because we're never going to take a dime or a dollar from someone that we're not willing to hand right back to them. So what I tell people is, look, the worst case scenario going through our program, the worst case scenario is you're going to learn something new. The best case scenario is it's going to change your life the way it changed ours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who has uh, swallowed the Dave Ramsey pill, so to speak, and and sort of in that mindset, what's, what would you say to them? Uh, like what is good about Dave Ramsey versus what is missing so to speak? All right. So Dave is really great about teaching discipline. I cannot knock him for that whatsoever. Um, but when it comes to growing your wealth in efficient ways, um, one of the things that I, I have a, a problem with is, 
he's very much risk averse. But that's because of his own experience with leveraging debt. He got burned because he was over leveraged, you know, in real estate years and years ago. Um, so it tanked his tanked his life. It tanked his entire situation. You know, he went bankrupt and all this other stuff. So um, he's very risk averse. So he doesn't want you. He wants you to get out of debt because he doesn't want you to be in a risky situation. But then. He points people back to growth stock mutual funds, which are extremely risky. And in the grand scheme of things, uh, a mutual fund, he used to use the example, I don't know if he still does or not, but in financial piece, he used to use the example of, look at what happens when you average 12% at a growth stock mutual fund over time. And it was like, um, the example was driving three cars. And so basically he shows this example of how uh, 12% of the growth stock mutual fund, you know, you get to drive three cars your whole life and you retire with $6 million or something like that. Um, the problem with that is 12% average rate of return is not actual rate of return. You have ups and you have downs. You don't have compounding growth at 12% over that time. The only way that you can truly represent an average rate of return is if there's no downturns in the market um, because the the losses are are a lot harder to overcome um, whenever you whenever you dip down like that i mean if you go up 25 percent and down 25 percent if you average that out it would be zero percent if we're just doing just regular math but like if it was a hundred thousand dollars, this is an example I use. Hundred thousand dollars. If it goes up twenty five percent, you got one hundred twenty five grand. If it goes down twenty five percent, you're not back at a hundred thousand. You're not back at your original point. You're at ninety three thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars. So, um, one of the things that people have to understand is an average rate of return does not fully does not tell the full picture. Um, you can have a you can have a positive average rate of return and have negative you know a negative growth rate, so to speak. So um, I think that's really important for people to understand is uh, there's uh, growth stock mutual funds are not the greatest place in the world uh, if you're going to grow something consistently over time that you can that you can count on because you can't really count on that. Right. And yeah, and Dave didn't build his wealth with gross stock mutual funds. He he built it basically by building a business, right? Which is well how most people who are rich actually get, get Dave wealthy, is a right? great Dave is a great marketer, put it that way. Mm-hmm. He's great yeah. at marketing. Yeah. Well let's talk about someone might have an aversion to debt like me. For instance, let's just talk about good debt versus bad debt and why we need to distinguish between those two things. So bad debt is just is is something that that takes money out of your pocket. Very simple. So, you know, a bad consumer debt or something like that, you know, a a credit card that you keep a balance on, um, uh, you know, maybe even a vehicle or something like that, if it's if it's just done the traditional way, that's going to be taking money out of your pocket. 
Um, now, a good debt would actually be putting money in your pocket, something that produces some sort of cash flow, some sort of value that, that creates a positive outcome for yourself. Um, so, I mean, one of the examples of, of good debt is, you know, real estate. I mean, people, people leverage, uh, you know, real estate deals all the time. Uh, you know, if they took $20,000 for a down payment on a rental property, as an example, and that rental property starts producing positive cash flow for them, well, they, they have $20,000 into the deal. They haven't lost their 25,000. They haven't lost their 20,000. It's just now been transferred into another asset class. And now they've got cash flow coming off of that that can potentially cover, um, you know, cover the debt or something like that uh, for the mortgage. So um, there's tons and tons of ways that, that you can create good debt in your life, but you just have to understand how to actually make those things happen, how to create those environments for yourself where you can leverage debt in a good way that also doesn't involve risk. Mm. And what, where's that line between leverage versus over leverage? Well, um, the, the type of leverage that we teach that, I mean, cause we're not investment advisors. Um, mm -hmm. So if somebody comes to me and wants to learn about real estate, I'm not the person that's going to teach them about real estate. Uh, somebody wants to learn about stocks. I'm not the person that's going to teach them about stocks. I'm not going to teach you about crypto, any of those things. I am very well versed in infinite banking and that concept mm -hmm. and how powerful that can be. So, um, when you're in a situation with uh, with infinite banking, ideally, whatever you're leveraging out of your out of your policy, out of your system, is something that you know that you're going to be able to to pay back. You know, you don't want to borrow money from yourself that or money from your system that you have no intention of ever paying back in the future. Um, so you don't want to stretch yourself. Even even when you own your own banking system, you don't want to stretch yourself so thin that you you're not able to be profitable long term. And the thing that comes to mind, and you're probably thinking about this as well, is the grocery store example in Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. He he uses the grocery store example and talks about somebody who owns a grocery store. If there's the shelves are fully stocked. A lot of people, if they own the grocery store, a lot of people who, who are business owners would walk over to a shelf if they were hungry and just grab something off the shelf without paying for it. Because their mentality is, I own this, this is mine. You know, I'm going to, I'm just going to consume it. But if you continue to do that over time, your, the profitability of your business goes to a very bad situation because in the grocery store example, uh, Nelson says, don't steal the peas. And so he uses a can of peas as an example. And I want to say that for every can of peas that goes missing, you have to sell 20 of them to replace the one that you lost. So, um, you know, grocery store margins are very, very thin as far as that goes. So 
in order to maintain profitability, you need to take that can of peas to the register and actually pay for it. And Nelson uses that example to talk about being a good banker, that when you're borrowing money from your system, you want to be a good business owner and pay those pay retail for the for those dollars. So not only do you want to pay for them, but you also want to charge yourself interest um, because that's what that's what you would be doing if you were borrowing money from anybody else. So why would you not charge yourself interest if you're borrowing your own capital? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and in the course of like infinite banking, the difference is that you get to set the terms, which can be good or bad. If you're disciplined, it can be really good, but I guess that's one of the pitfalls. And we, we can talk about this as well and go deeper. What There's a lot of good that can come out of infinite banking. Um, a lot of cash flow. You can build up build up wealth that accrues interest tax-free. Um, there's, there's all these things. But what are some other pitfalls besides the putting your hand to the cookie jar, stealing the peas from your own grocery store type of thing? I mean, that's really the, the biggest thing. I mean, you're in your early capitalization years, you just need to, you need to be pretty certain that you can actually put the premium deposits into your system that the insurance company is requiring early on, because there is a capitalization phase that you have to go through. So when we're designing strategies for people, we want to make sure that whatever we design for them is something that is going to create efficiency in their life, but it's also something that we know is going to be sustainable without stretching their budget or anything like that. In fact, when we design strategies for people, if we add one ounce of stress to their budget, to their financial life, then then we just haven't done our job because infinite banking is all about freeing you up as quickly as possible, not putting more stress on you. Um, So uh, I would say if, you know, you had just something catastrophic happen to your financial situation. Um, that could be that could be a potential issue. Uh, but the other one just really boils down to human behavior, as you said earlier. It's just not being a good steward of your your banking system. So mm-hmm. human behavior and some sort of catastrophe in your life, which, you know, if you if you had a situation where you couldn't cover your your premium deposits for your banking system, you probably got bigger fish to fry, bigger things that you're even more concerned about than just being able to fund your system. Um, but I would say that those are probably the biggest things. Mm-hmm. Right. And even then there's probably things you can do to help mitigate that if you're really, um, if you're really disciplined about it. Yeah, depending on how deep you are into the process. I mean, we had a client back during COVID last year. Um, She was fairly fresh out of college. She had landed her first job. She had been funding her policy for about eight or nine months. We were helping her with, you know, get out of her student loan debt and everything like that. So we designed something to to help her with that. So she was funding her policy. um, And then she was going to start loaning against it and shifting the wind current on her debt. Well, COVID hit, and because she was the lowest on the totem pole, so to speak, at the company, she was the new hire, they let her go first. 
So all of a sudden she had no income, but she still had these premiums that she was putting into her system. Well, she had built up enough, enough cash value to actually cover the premiums until she was able to get some income coming back in. So she was still able to maintain her system without losing anything that she had put into it and, and keep her head above water uh, in other areas as well. So it, it did actually um, was something that ended up being really good for her. Um, she went through a tough time, but at the same time, she didn't lose anything that she was excited about as far as her system or anything like that. So depending right. on where you are in the process, yeah, there are some things that we could potentially do to kind of alleviate some of that uh, potential stress on your budget. Yeah. So you talked about one of your missions is to teach people about things about money that they didn't learn in school and that they should have essentially. And this goes beyond, I mean, we don't even really teach the basics how to balance a checkbook or anything like that either. Um, but what, um, what other things or have you, do you really find that you need to emphasize as you're taking people through this process that they just didn't know about money? I would say probably the biggest one is um, understanding how banks make money. Most people don't know, don't understand how banks make money. Hmm. Um, the only way a bank makes money is if you put money in their bank. That's the only way they make money. They have to have depositors. Because when you deposit money into the bank, they turn around and they go find people to loan that money to and charge interest. So um, they, you know, we we hang out on on Twitter and we see a lot of these guys who are uh, resellers or flippers. Uh, banks are the ultimate flippers when it comes to our money because they buy it from us really, really cheap and they sell it for a massive profit. Uh, you know, you're most, I would say probably most savings accounts right now are, are earning like maybe 0.1, 0.25, something like that. It's mm -hmm. under 1% pretty much everywhere just because of the low interest rate environment. But I go put my money into the bank. They're going to pay me 0.1% and they're going to go sign a, a loan for 10, 15, 20% to somebody else. Um, not only that, but they also operate off the fractional reserve banking system, which means they create, they take my deposit, create new money out of thin air off of my deposit and go loan out imaginary money to somebody else and earn interest off of that. Um, most people don't understand how the banking system works. And, and when you really start to study it, it's, it's kind of a house of cards. Yeah. Yeah, especially that idea that they can loan out $10 for every one that they have. It's literal imaginary money. It doesn't exist, but they make it exist through sheer willpower and chicanery. Um, so did you, when you were learning how the banks actually worked, did that come through uh, learning about infinite banking in general, or is that something you had stumbled across before? Because I know that's... Um, Fractional reserve banking is also something harped on by the Austrian School of Economics and um, Mises Institute, which a lot of the same guys who advocate infinite banking also 
run in some of those same circles as well. Well, for, for someone like myself, who's fairly conservative, um, but also kind of lean libertarian in, in a lot of ways, um, I'm just, I'm for limited government in the grand scheme of things. I just want them to stay out of our business for the most part. And, and I know that's a whole lot to ask, <laughs> but, uh, I would say Ron Paul was, uh, the biggest, uh, the biggest exposure that I had to how the banking system actually worked. And, and I think a lot of people would probably say that because for the longest time, the, the federal reserve and what, uh, how banks operated and everything like that, it was pretty, it wasn't well known. And Ron Paul really, uh, kind of pulled the curtain back on the federal reserve and all this stuff. But I mean, and even he started writing books about in the fed and all this other stuff. Um, but I, I would say there's a, probably a lot of people who would attribute Ron Paul to, Hey, you know, I didn't realize this is how things worked until he came along and started talking about it. Um, because he was really the first, the first person in Congress who really was um, bringing up the subject of, the federal reserve and what they were doing and you know how they were tanking our economy which is you know pretty much what's happening so uh yep. devaluing the dollar all those things mm-hmm. so uh yeah i would say that was my first exposure and really that was my first exposure to austrian economics in general i didn't know much about austrian economics until uh ron paul shed light on that as well yeah. Yeah, his run in 08 was that opened a lot of eyes, I'm sure. And you're right, a, a lot of the a lot of people's introduction was probably Ron Paul. Um Yeah, he he said a lot of things probably in a way that was non-threatening. Um and so I think that helped a lot of people see some things. Or at least take a second look beyond their assumptions. He was uh, he was Ben Bernanke's nightmare, right? <laughs> Bernanke did Bernanke. not like Ron Paul. <laughs> Bernanke, oh man, yeah, yeah. So I I wanted to talk a little bit about generational wealth and why it seems so hard to build these days. Um, um, and why it's important to build and how, how IBC or inf- this infinite banking concept can help with that. So what, what can it do and the system do to help build generational wealth that lasts, you know, how things used to last, <laughs> yeah. we're talking, you know, six, seven generations or whatever, potentially, instead of just everything the family farm being gone after one generation or whatever that whatever's happened in the past. Well, I think, I think our generation, um, cause we're right around the same age. I think our generation has wised up to the fact that social security is not, it's not going to be there for us. Like we can't depend on that. Um, yeah. I'm assuming our, I will get $0. Yeah. From social security. I know our, our, our parents' generation, they're still, I mean, they're receiving that, you know, they're, they are counting on that in their monthly budget right now. Um, we, 
we cannot expect any sort of government program to take care of us in, in the future. Um, what I mean, you think about this, we talk about tax deferred plans often. And with a tax deferred plan, that's something that's really popular for a lot of people because they're like, oh, you know, I can build this up and I don't want to pay taxes on it, you know, and I'll, I'll pay taxes on it one day when I retire. But when I retire, I'm going to be in a lower income bracket. And so I'll pay less taxes, all those things. And that's kind of how a tax deferred plan is sold to people, whether it be an IRA or 401k, whatever. Um, but if you think about it, what you are effectively doing is you are creating an unknown debt to the government to be determined by them at a later date. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but that does not, I, I don't, I, that doesn't appeal to me at all. That number is probably not going to go down. <laughs> if I mean, we know ask anything about people, if taxes are going up in the future, how many of them are going to say, yeah, they're going up in the future. Mm -hmm. But if you just look historically, we're we're still we're in a low tax environment in the grand scheme of things. If you look at the history of the IRS up until now, we're in a lower tax environment than we've been. So, okay. yeah, I would say there's a good chance that taxes are going to be higher in the future. Um, so one of the things that I like about the concept of infinite banking is getting all the things that we know right now out of the way so that we don't have to face those uncertainties in the future. Um, because money going into your policies is, is post-tax. So it's, it's, you know, it's income that you've already been taxed on. So everything that grows inside your system is growing tax-free because whole life insurance actually predates the income tax code. Um, so it's not part of the income tax code the way everything else is. So um, with that, we know that what we're seeing growth-wise on a policy with with some certainty, a rel I would say relative certainty, because obviously we're dependent on the profitability of the life insurance industry. Um, and we know that for 100 plus years, life insurance has been extremely profitable. Um, most of these mutual insurance companies that we that we work with in terms of infinite banking, they pay dividends through depressions, recessions, you name it. So they posted profits and paid dividends to their customers, even when the country seemed like everything was in a tailspin, they were still maintaining profitability. Um, so we can look at the history of the life insurance company and say, you know, if they've been profitable through all these other things that seemed really, really horrible at the time, there's a good chance they're gonna stay profitable in the future. And so we can look at that and say, with, as I said, relative certainty, we can almost predict at a minimum where we could be by funding a policy, by funding a, funding a strategy out long-term and looking at how that growth might, might take place. So the thing that I like about uh, infinite banking and just life insurance in general and how I'm creating the system for myself I'm already solving for the need of taking care of my family for the future um, because life insurance policies obviously have a death benefit attached to them. So I've got this insurance policy that's built on my capital 
So in a sense, I'm kind of buying insurance on my capital because if you put 20, if I put $20,000 into a, an IRA, as an example, if something happens to me, my wife's going to get $20,000. Mm-hmm. If I put $20,000 into a life insurance policy and something happens to me, my wife's going to get several hundred thousand dollars. So as a loving parent, you want to be able to provide something for your, for your kids for the future. So with infinite banking, I'm already taking care of that piece of the puzzle. And now I get to just go build out my system for the here and now. And while I'm doing and funding my life and doing all the things that I need to do for me and my wife and my kids, I'm also simultaneously building up their inheritance for the future. So, and as long as we continue that education from one generation to the next, those systems uh, are just going to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and, and that is, that's the important piece is making sure that that education continues to pass on from one generation to the next. Yeah. I like how you put that simultaneously building your inheritance while at the same time you have access to that money to do other things. Um, right. Which is what makes it so powerful. Um, and tax free. All the growth is tax free. That's that's the other thing that sort of blew me away. Um, but yeah, have what about whole life policies for children? Have you written many of those, or do you write many of those? Yeah, we have we have several clients who have done policies on their kids. I actually have new policies in underwriting right now um, for my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, now, policies on kids, depending on their age, can be a little bit tricky because when they're young, they qualify for a lot of death benefits. And uh, the rule with the life insurance company is like if husband and wife, like let's say husband has a million dollar term policy and the wife has half a million dollar term policy. So let's say they both have term policies. Let's say they also have infinite banking plans, but they have these term policies for a million and half a million. So the life insurance company is going to look at the the death benefit of the child and say for the wife she's got 500,000 so the most that they're going to insure that child for is going to be 250,000 it's going to be half of whatever the lowest parent's policy death benefit is so the most they'll insure that child for would be 250,000 well on a child it doesn't take much money to get $250,000 worth of death benefit so Starting policies on kids is not necessarily for the immediate value that you would receive as a parent as much as just building something for your child for the future. Right. Instead of it's giving them a policy that let's say you take out a $40 a month policy for them. It's only going to be that much for the rest of their life and continue to build on that. Um no matter what happens to them. Right. As opposed to, because I mean, you, I guess you could save that money and put it in a fund or something like that as an alternative, but that's not going to be as flexible as, as a whole life policy, I suppose. Well, and we have some, some parents who have started policies on their kids um, as an, uh, a, an alternative to a 529 plan, because mm-hmm. with 529, 
if you don't use that money for some sort of education expense, you know, you're going to pay taxes on it. Um, but with with a whole life policy, you know, leveraging the cash value out of the policy for future expenses or whatever that you know you may need for the child. What if the kid doesn't go to college? What if they just go straight into the workforce and um, maybe they need money for a car or down payment on a house or something like that. So you're not restricted in what you can actually use that money for because when you borrow money out of your system, the insurance company doesn't even ask you what that money is for. They just process it because by contract, we have first, first rights to those funds. Mm-hmm. And they've already assumed all the risk anyway because it just comes off your eventual death benefit that they don't have to pay at the end. Exactly. The the ultimate collateral on your entire system is the fact that there's a death benefit attached to it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as an example, if I've got a million dollar policy and I've got a loan out on my policy for $50,000 that I haven't finished paying back and something happens to me, well, my wife's going to get $950,000. Mm-hmm. They're just going to subtract the outstanding loan from the death benefit and send the beneficiary the difference. So that's why you have a lot of control of those dollars. An insurance company isn't knocking on your door every month saying, why haven't you made a payment if you don't make a payment right away? Because in the grand scheme of things, they've got that death benefit on that policy and they know that they're going to get their money. Right. Yeah, I guess uh, the big part of generational wealth as well is teaching the next generation. Um, Some of the same concepts and discipline required. Have you been thinking about that, of how you're going to teach your own kids or how you'll help other people teach their kids? Because that's going to be in order to keep that wealth and keep it moving and growing they're going to have to have some kind of educational background and discipline as well. Right. Well, my, um, yeah, infinite banking, I mean, it's a concept that a lot of adults have a really hard time with. So the concept is a little bit difficult to teach kids, especially if the kids don't have like a a financial background or anything like that. Um, But um, as mine are getting older, my my oldest son recently, he, he said, Hey, I want to learn what you do and why all these people are so anxious to, to work with you and, and, and Mr. Brandon, um, because he sees that there's, there's, there's some value here that we're able to, to help people. Um, and, and he knows that this is going to be something that's going to be a part of his life in some way. And so he's thinking, Hey, I want to know more about this. So he's starting to ask some questions and things like that. So we're, we're about to start really diving into the weeds on what infinite banking is and why it's so valuable um, so that you'll have that knowledge um, for, for right now, but also for the future, because, you know, we want to make sure that this is something that continues on and on and on. And if we do it right, six, seven, eight generations down the line, they're going to know our names because of something we created in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I guess part of it is similar to 
Like if you had a business, a family business, you would have to teach them ropes somehow of how things work, right. how you made money, how, you know, all this other thing to, in order to eventually gradually introduce them to, to the business and to eventually take over it. and infinite banking and these whole life policies are going to be something similar. Uh, and uh, Nelson Nash even uses the analogy of, I guess, capitalizing a business as well. So um, yeah, I guess it's no different than, than passing on any other tradition or, or legacy. Um, so, so what's your, your favorite success story from all this since you started doing it? Um, the one that, that really blows me away the most, um, in terms of just clients and people that we've worked with is, uh, we had a client, uh, last year who, um, he bought the course. He didn't get started right away and then kicked himself once he once he dove into the concepts. He kicked himself for waiting as long as he did, but he finally got started with just learning and going through the process. So we had uh, created a strategy for, for him and his wife. Now, they had 21 and a half years left on their mortgage. They had just had a new child, so they had four years left on a new vehicle, a new van that they had just bought. <clears throat> so those were the debts they had. They had been doing the Dave Ramsey thing. So he knew that they were just going to bust it and get that van paid off, just like they had done everything else um, as far as the debts and all that stuff. So um, we ended up working with them, designing a strategy for them that I want to say had them debt free in like five years and a month. So like 61, 61 months. Um, all right five years in a month. Yeah, maybe five years in a month. Um, four years in a month, maybe. Anyways, five years in a month. So 61 months, they were going to be desperate. Um, they thought that was pretty cool, what we showed them. And they said, well, what if we used this other pool of money that we have over here that we weren't really considering, but what if we use this? And we said, okay, so we went back to the drawing board and redid their strategy, came back. In 30 months, they were going to have the house and the van paid off. The mortgage had 21 and a half years left on it. <laughs> the, the vehicle had four years left on it. So they were going to be debt-free in 30 months. And they got really, really excited about that idea. Well, at the same time, um, he was a manager um, at Hobby Lobby, the husband was, and he had started reselling or flipping on the side. So they started their policy with us in May of 2020, right? By December of 2020, they were debt-free and he had quit his job. Now, some of that was because of infinite banking and some of that was just he got after it and built up a side income that was pretty substantial. So, um, but the cool thing about that and not to pat myself on the back or anything like that, but I was the one that introduced him to the concept of flipping items and, um, and doing reselling and stuff like that. Cause I had uh, become friends with a couple of guys on Twitter, uh, Joe Hart, Greg Webb, um, who were big in the flipping space. And 
so I turned him on to those guys. And so he started learning from them and became really successful at what he was doing. So combination of infinite banking and just making some side money, he, he, he got after it, they got after it, and they were debt-free in a very, very short period of time. And um, that's always a fun story for me to tell because, uh, I don't, you know, again, not to pat myself on the back, but I don't think they would have ever gotten there if they hadn't come across infinite banking and, and built that relationship with us. Right. And part of the benefits that you sell is, uh, is getting out of debt while building wealth at the same time. Right. Which, which if you haven't gone through what infinite banking is, makes absolutely no sense because once you spend a dollar, it's gone. Right. But um, I, I think that's something particularly powerful about this um, and what made me excited about it. Yeah, um, the, the thing about it, as you said, most people, they only know how to use a dollar once. And so what we want to do is teach people how to get multiple uses from that dollar. And and one of the examples that, that you're familiar with is, you know, if we were standing outside a convenience store, and I said, hey, if I handed you a dollar and I said, hey, could you go get me a candy bar? But you walk in the store, candy bar costs a dollar, so you bring the candy bar out. And I say, what if I could walk in that same convenience store just like you did with a dollar just like you did and walk out legally with a candy bar, but also a Coke and a bag of chips? Well, obviously, my dollar created more value for me than when it was in your hands. And, and that's where the education comes in, understanding what infinite banking offers, because it's not just about, um, you know, a system where you can control capital, but it's a system where you can control capital, grow it in a safe environment, um, and also be able to do multiple things with it simultaneously, because you know, you have instant value for your money because it is life insurance. So there's a death benefit that's attached to every policy. It's not like your money just goes out into the unknown, never to be seen again. Um, you're building up that cash value, that equity inside of your policy that you control, that you have access to. It's growing uninterrupted, even though you want to use it for something else in your life. You want to go inject it out into your life, create value somewhere else. It's growing and compounding. So figure out a way to make your dollar do more than one thing. Uh, and that's where it becomes really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It almost, it sounds too good to be true. Is it when I, when I went through it, I actually went and talked to my dad about it and he, he knew immediately what I was talking about. And he said, Oh yeah, I, um, I do that if I wasn't, you know, so old. It's totally great, you know, take out poly. Like he knew immediately. It's like, oh, well, that, and that's when I knew as well. Maybe I'll probably do something like this then. <laughs> um, I don't know why he never talked about it before. It's just, but because um, he's, he is a CPA. He's been in finance all his life and all this other stuff. But uh, yeah, um, it sounds too good to be true, but it's, but it's not. As long as you, uh, couple with with some discipline um 
good so, so the, don't hurt either. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so the, the last thing I wanted to talk about is Twitter and why you were on Twitter. What, what got you started on that? Cause you have a pretty big following about 42,000 followers right now. Um, it, was actually, it was actually my business partner got me on Twitter. So when we, when I mentioned earlier that we were uh, in accountability together, so some of that accountability was just, you know, if we saw something just mindset wise that we really liked, we would text each other, you know, different things that we read on the internet, things like that. Well, I had an old account on Twitter that I never used for anything. It was just one of those things that like one day I got sent a tweet or whatever and I clicked on it and I had to create a, create an account. Um, or it asked me to create an account, so I did, but I wasn't really using it for anything. Um, but he was texting me these tweets from guys like Chris Johnson, Ed Lattimore, AJ Cortez, and uh, those were kind of the top three. And it was, I mean, it was good stuff. And one day I was just like, man, I'm going to get on there and check this out for myself. So uh, I, got on Twitter. I started looking at some of the guys he was following, some of the stuff he was sending me and um, was just blown away by just how much free content people were just putting out there. Um, I had studied personal development and mindset, stuff like that over the years. So that was something I recognized very early on that I had some value to bring to other people uh, just through that, but then also saw an opportunity to grow our business because I saw people who were marketing their business. And so I came back to Brandon and I said, hey, um, all those guys on Twitter, they have like thousands of followers. I said, I'm gonna be one of those. I'm gonna build a Twitter account. And he was like, dude, if anybody can do it, you can. And I was like, all right, that's all the confidence I needed to get started. So, uh, you know, took a few uh, courses that were out there on, you know, kind of learning the basics because this was all new territory for me. I didn't really know what the first steps were. Um, Western Mastery, Sean, um, who's a friend of mine now, um, he's uh, he's got a great, uh, well, I mean, when I got started, that was where I started was with his course. Um, I cannot repeat the name of it. Um, it's very, whatever. You want to call it I, 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 vulgar? I guess you'd be the best way to say it. Yep. I'll just replace. I'll replace the first word and say unhinge, unhinge your Twitter. Uh, mm -hmm. yes, and you can go. I've heard of that. You one. can go. Yeah, you can go find the actual uh, title and link and all that stuff somewhere. Um, I probably still have it. That was where I started and learned, even though. I don't condone coarse language. Uh, Sean knows that. We're friends, like I said. Um, pretty much everybody on Twitter knows that I don't endorse coarse language. Um, but I do endorse the valuable information that I receive from that course. And also another one early on that really helped me was Ed Lattimore's course, who's another friend of mine. Um, mm -hmm which was engagement is the new cocaine. That was the, that was his brand new course he rolled out in early 2019. So those two courses really what set me on the path. And then it became just me figuring some stuff out and just reaching out to people and making connections and starting to teach them 
uh, the things that I knew, the things that I had learned about infinite banking and how money worked. And um, no one really talked about the power of leverage um, until I started growing and started talking more and more about it. And, and I got a lot of I got a lot of direct messages or DMs, as we call them, early on because I would say something in regards to money that no one had ever heard before. And they're like, they would DM me and they're like, what are you talking about? Like what I've never, you know, you're saying things about money that I've never heard before. So um, leverage is, is a, is a topic that has become more and more prevalent on what we would call money Twitter um, where money Twitter is just this big community of uh, a lot of business owners, um, people who are, are just, doing different things in life, not all business owners, but some business owners, some that are just creating their, their own path and, and um, figuring out ways to add value to other people, uh, whether that be through through business or, or, or some other uh, method or just, you know, creating content, creating courses, all these different things. So, um, yeah, it just, it started snowballing uh, the more and more I started reaching out to people, the more and more time I started spending there and creating new content, it just starts snowballing into what it is today. Yeah. Yeah, Twitter is pretty amazing if you use it right and don't just go down the, the rabbit hole of consuming all the time. Yeah. Well, to, to close out, I want to give you the opportunity to say what is next for unlimited life concepts if you want to say anything well yeah um we're we're building out a a team Uh, we've just been very blessed to connect with some awesome people um in our business and so we're building out a, a, a team and um we're you know right now we're we're taking on uh associates now we don't recruit associates. We have a, sort of a unique uh, recruitment tool. I, I don't even know if you would call it a recruitment tool, but um, anybody who is on our team is someone who is either a client already or someone who has been practicing infinite banking. So mm-hmm. everybody who is a part of our team is someone who has integrity in what they're actually sharing, what they're actually doing for us. So um, we have several associates who are in that program right now that we're mentoring at various levels and things like that. So we want to continue to build that out. Uh, eventually, we would love to have um, offices all over the country, unlimited life concept offices all over the country where um, people can come in and you know kind of be a, a one-stop shop for everything they need when it comes to finance. So uh, I know that there's there's a book in our future at some point. Brandon and I have talked about that from day one. One day we're going to write a book and we're going to tell our story. And, um, and and I think it's a cool story. And uh, I, I've said this before. <laughs> I don't know if I should say it again. But uh, one day I'm going to kick Dave Ramsey off the stage. Um, yeah. And... Uh, and people are going to be exposed to the power of leverage and, and infinite banking in a really cool way where they can be empowered with the, the information that has, has helped us so much and helped thousands of other people across the country. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Well, sounds good. And again, I would recommend to anyone out there to to get Nate's course, the Unlimited Life Concepts course. Even if you think you know a lot about finances and money, you're going to learn something, I think. Um, so thank you, Nate, for coming on. I definitely appreciate it. Well, thank you, brother, for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yep.